What's up, Wildcats? Welcome to the Jesus Movies Podcast, where we search movies for lines, scenes, characters, and themes that trace truth and the gospel. I'm Kevin Carlock. I'm here with my fellow Davidson Wildcat, Graham Hooten, and our hope is that you'll join us on the great journey of storytelling by asking thoughtful questions about why certain movies and moments resonate or don't resonate, and what that might say about the movie, about you, and perhaps about humanity as a whole. Today we're talking about High School Musical, and Graham, my one question for you is, what team? Wildcats! What team? Wildcats! Let's go! Kev, season three. Uh, It's been a great summer, and I can't wait to dive into High School Musical with you today. Right off the bat, changes to season three, guys. No more Patreon. R.I.P. It was becoming too much of an administrative hassle, and really we just don't need the $1 a month because the Jimmy's was covered last year by generous donors. We love that. Also, coming to season three, shorter awards. Graham and I are hoping for more snippy back-and-forth dialogue. So we're relegating our monologues to the pulpit picks exclusively, one apiece per usual. Graham, any other thoughts on season three? We are starting our year-long promotional campaign of the Jimmys (laughs) now here as we drop it September 7th. Uh, The hashtag is hashtag Jimmys, except the E in Jimmys will be a three tentatively april 2023 we're also going to be doing a people's pick from the final movie of the season and there'll be more information about that at the end of this episode but let's get rolling because one of the new twists that we're bringing on in season three is 12 mini awards for the 12 tribes of israel graham and i are each going to go rapid fire down the list graham kick us off with the samson award for the best hair in high school musical this one was actually pretty easy to me because i have to throw it to my man corbin blue who plays chad with the incredible afro i gave it to chad as well give me your jabez award for the best you know one line character one moment type thing it's from the beginning the opening scene where the guy chooses troy and gabrielle to come do karaoke he says you know someday someday you may thank me for this and then he's gone that's all he does he just sets him up and leaves I'm giving it to uh, the guy wearing the blue shirt that says number 44 in the first audition. He does like this little ballet sort of twisty thing, and then he runs off the stage. And it's just like, who was that guy? He really shone there for a moment, but... <laughs> Love it. You'll know him when you see him. Blue number 44, remember me. All right, Adam and Eve Award. Uh, you had one job, Graham. Who had one job? Ryan, you had one job, and it was to stop Sharpay from her evil schemes. You spineless amoeba, stick up to her. Uh, I know they have a weirdly incestual relationship, and there's a lot of kind of weird stuff going on there. But Ryan, where are you, my guy? I've got uh, people having cell phones in homeroom. You had literally so much time to put that <laughs> away after Darbus grilled the first three people. There is no excuse for Troy not having that cell phone stashed by the time she gets to him. You had one job. You had one job. It's 2006. Put your phone away. Jacob Award for the best costume. Uh, For me, it has to be to Troy in the opening scene. He's rocking this brown corduroy jacket and these boot-cut jeans that no way would he have been able to pull off in 2022, but... Uh, apparently Gabriella was digging it so I don't know if he was trying to go for like cowboy look or like 70s disco but it's working for me I've got Sharpay every scene it's just so good that was kind of the obvious answer yeah Ashley Tisdale herself the the you know the fashion icon of the early 2000s give me your frog plague award for the most disgusting moment has to be when the lunch tray lands on Gabriella in the yeah. sticks in the sticks the stuff you know I mean that is were there any other nominees? No, it, it's also it's thrown by Sharp, thrown by Gabriella onto Sharpay. It's the chili cheese fries. Oh, 
Correct, correct. Those okay. chili cheese yeah, fries, right. baby. Give me your menorah award for your favorite object or prop. My menorah award for favorite prop goes to Chad's basketball, which is with him at all times. I mean, the man always carries around a basketball. They were they're beating that point home. Yeah, that's a good one. He's got it like in the library. It's a little ridiculous. I've got the cream brulee from I think Zach. Oh, Zeke. Zeke, sorry. Job Award for a character who gets shafted. Good transition because I'm going straight to Zeke. Uh, Zeke can't even get the date with Sharpay. Okay, obviously Troy and Gabriella end up together. Chad and Taylor end up together. And you'd think that Zeke and Sharpay would be the natural third, but Sharpay's not even giving him the light of day. He's, he bakes her cookies, he tries to hang out with her, and she wants nothing to do with it. Poor look for my guy Zeke. He uh, got friend-zoned. Not even friend-zoned, just stiff-armed hard. That's tough. I've got Ryan. He just sort of seems like an unfortunate number two that will never be a number one, but has the talent, but he's just kind of there. Yeah. needs a, Maybe needs a little bit of his own screen time. Yeah, he is essentially Sharpay's punching bag. And he sort of seems to have, like, the morals of our heroes, but he's sort of stuck on the wrong team, and I guess he is the spineless amoeba. I don't know. Yeah. Give me your Kanan Award for the Promised Land, the best scene setting. Oh, uh, you gotta go with the rooftop garden here with the mountains in the background. Uh, I love that Troy escapes to there. And I know we're set in Albuquerque. I believe this was filmed in Salt Lake uh, in Utah, though. So I love those Western mountains. Definitely wins my Canaan Award. What about you? I almost picked that one. Uh, I actually went with Troy's half court in his backyard at just what looks like the sickest house ever. Yeah, let's be honest. These kids are rolling in it. Their houses are absurdly nice. Also, Gabriella's backyard, very uh, Romeo and Juliet scene. I was literally thinking that. Yeah. Very Romeo and Juliet vibes in that scene, sneaking in the backyard. I don't know if you've seen the Leo DiCaprio. Yep. All right, Leviticus Award for a boring stretch. Uh, When There Was Me and You, Gabriella's solo song after she gets the the video message from Troy. That just doesn't really do much for me. Interesting. I gave it to Troy and Gabriella hiding behind the mop thing during tryouts, Captain Jack Sparrow-esque. I just felt like... It was a great idea, but it, it went on for a long time. Like, we get the idea the other people trying out are not very good, and they're scared. Here for it. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to go first on this one for the segue. I gave my Steven Award for favorite monologue to Gabriella's When There Was Me and You. I actually uh. like that song, even though the lip syncing throughout this movie is tough and the auto-tune is not hard to discern but for me i just kind of i felt the feels of it i don't know that has shades for me of tightrope by Mm. michelle williams in greatest showman i think it's kind of the one dud of the soundtrack for me my favorite monologue uh my steven ward favorite monologue goes to troy's i don't care about gabriella's speech in the locker room obviously that's not where we land but just seeing him lean into the viciousness of tearing her down i was like troy little little multi-dimensional addition to our character here yeah and that's actually going to be a great transition to the jonah fish award for an implausible plot point or improbable i should say yeah for me uh i kind of i kind of was between two so maybe you can help me figure this out one was taylor and the scholastic bowl team hacking into the power grid of east high and and ending (laughs) the basketball game or pausing it like the fact that you could get teenagers that could break into an electrical grid system is just like ridiculously improbable i love how it's like transmission you know received as if it was like some sort of code sent from the death star uh but my second one most improbable plot point and i just think this is ridiculous uh why are the musical auditions right in the middle of the playoff game like why didn't troy and gabriella just reschedule like this whole thing could have been avoided no, no, no. it's because sharpay 
Sharpay cooked that up on purpose. That's I'm just saying point. they could have been like, hey, can we come in like, I don't know, half an hour after school before the playoff game? Or can we do it the day before? No, no, no. Age-old battle between sports oh and arts. Gosh. I mean, who's auditioning for a musical right in the middle of a championship basketball game? It just feels wrong. Well, that's what they're saying. That's why there would never be any overlap, and it's not a problem. I, I like how he was able to change, too, from his basketball uniform into, like, his warm-ups in the time it took from him for him to run, like, from the court to the gym. Also, Important costume when, change. like, the scoreboard goes out and he just starts booking it away, it's like, it almost makes him look guilty, like he knows he's on the clock. Uh, I mean, 100% he's guilty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, but it's just like, he wasn't trying to even play it off, you know? He's like, all right, this is my signal. So what's that for you, the uh, Jonah Award, most improbable plot point? Uh, I've actually got, like, a really underdog pick. Do you have any guesses for my Jonah fish? Is it the fact that Troy and Gabriella end up going to the same school after meeting on vacation? It's not. It's much smaller. <laughs> I don't know, is that Troy's, like, starting as a sophomore on varsity? No, it's actually Kelsey wiping out at the piano and spraying her papers everywhere, which triggers Troy and Gabriella to run up and help her pick them up, and that's how they start their song. To me, Kelsey completely beefing it on the stage (laughs) all by herself was less plausible than the shot clock going out by a calculated cyber attack. (laughs) If you rewatch the Kelsey Wipeout, you that. will laugh to yourself. I mean, it is just so over the top. I love it. I mean, I there are people who delight in the Nick picks. I'm here to celebrate the Nick picks. I think that the Kelsey Wipeout is a great moment. I want to know if there is a conspiracy theory wherein Kelsey is the one who intentionally slips and falls, and really she's the one who like had this whole thing in motion. I guess you could argue it. Bring us home with the Melchizedek Award for a mysterious slash interesting character that might promise a sequel or spinoff. You know, comes in, gets hot, and then we don't see him again. Okay, for me, it's got to be Zeke, and I want his baking show on the Food Network. (laughs) Zeke came 15 years too soon. If it was 2022, he would have his own baking channel on YouTube, or he'd make TikToks with, like, cool baking tricks, and he'd be picked up as being really trendy and... All the girls would love him. I think our man just peaked 15 years too early, but I I think there would be a future in food for my man. Do you have a working title for the show yet? Uh, Zeke's Eats. Zeke's Eats. I love that. (laughs) What about you? What uh, what spinoff do you want to see? I'm giving it to Principal Matsui, and I'm looking for uh, a chronology (laughs) of the history uh, of mediating between arts and sports in this age-old clash at East High you could call it Matsui's Mediations. I think you are literally the only person in the world that would watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he just has this funny moment where he's like dragged into this regrettable, like almost relatable, even though you've never had the position. Kind of like a 21 Jump Street sort of moment where it's sort of like the driver's ed guy. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever. Just take the car. Like he's like, okay, sports and arts. I'll never be able to settle this. You guys figure it out. That said, how's the basketball team doing, coach? I don't really see it, but, you know, I'm happy that it interests you. Well, there it is, our first ever run through the 12 Tribes of Mini Awards. Uh, Any comments on the movie itself, or should we just fire straight into the Lazarus? Yeah, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about why we picked this movie. I think that High School Musical has had deep cultural influence upon the both of us. Both of us were Davidson Wildcats, following in the footsteps of the East High Wildcats. Um, This is a movie that launched the career of Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens, and 
It's probably the most iconic Disney Channel movie. It's behind High School Musical, The Musical, The Show, which launched the career of Olivia Rodriguez. We've got two sequels coming up off of this. High School Musical 2 and 3, Sharpay's, Fabulous Adventures. Uh, but really, it's just a classic high school story, right, of wanting to fit in, but also wanting to stand out in the tension of what friend group do you belong to? Where do you belong in our society? How do you fight against people's expectations? I think there's just a lot of classic high school themes going on here. It's a good, it's a good pure movie that I think has a lot of cultural capital today. So I think that was kind of what motivated me, at least at my end, to choose High School Musical. What about you? What do you like about it? I love how this movie has a specific tone and it knows what it is and it's consistent and it's fun and it's playful. In the first two minutes, you know exactly what it is. We meet Troy on the basketball court, but he has this kind of pretty boy singing side. And then we meet Gabrielle. She's the book nerd. And then we see that it's going to be about them learning to sing together and kind of shedding their shells of former lives in a, in a sense. So like, I think the movie promises everything it needs to in the first two minutes that sets you up for exactly what the story is. And I think this movie is a good example of how when you have a great concept, the execution doesn't need to be perfect for it to become a cult classic, you know? Right. Like there's plenty of things about this movie that you could say that's not great or that could have been better. But like, I think this idea of like sports versus arts and the tension that that can play out in a school, but also within ourselves is really compelling. Something that I felt kind of growing up more on the sports side and then transitioning to LA and film being a little more on the creative arts side. I sort of feel like a little bit of a mini Troy at times. Yeah. With that, give me your Lazarus Award, the first of season three for the high key gospel moment of High School Musical. I am giving my Lazarus Award to Troy saying to Gabriella, look at me, right at me. To it, Troy. Not with all these people staring at me. Hey, 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 look at me. Look at me, right at me. Right at me. Like the first time we sang together. Remember? My kindergarten. Uh, there's something so beautiful about that childlike innocence in going back to a place where you don't care about what other people think of you. And obviously, these two characters are facing the internal conflict of what do our friends think about us and what do we actually want to do with our lives. Uh, and what is it that enables them to actually live into being their true selves? It's looking one another in the eyes. And so the story that came to mind for me, and we've used this before, is Peter walking on water. So this comes from Matthew 14. Jesus comes out to the disciples in the middle of a storm, walking on water. Uh, and Jesus says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Uh, and Peter replies, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter gets out of the boat walks on the water, and comes towards Jesus. But when he sees the wind, he's afraid and begins to sink and cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. 
And I think this is also kind of paralleled in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, again, there's that key phrase, fixing our eyes, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so I love to see this image here that Peter is able to do something truly miraculous and wonderful because his eyes are fixed on Jesus. Gabriella here is able to do something miraculous and wonderful, perform the music that she's always wanted to perform because her eyes are fixed on Troy, not on those around her, not on the things that are giving her fear or intimidating her, but on the one who truly loves her for who she is. Uh, And I think that's what you get with the Peter-Jesus relationship here. Um, this theme of fixing your eyes and being able to do miraculous things as a result of that. And so there's a song that I love called Running in Circles that's by uh, United Pursuit slash Will Reagan. Lord, I come to tell you I love you To tell you I need you To tell you there's no better place for me than in your arms to tell you I'm sorry for running in circle for placing my focus on the waves not on your face you're the only one who brings me peace And specifically, I love that penultimate line for placing my focus on the waves, not on your face. I think that's something that all of us struggle with, right? We want to be consumed by our fears and what other people think about us. But as we look into Jesus's eyes, the one who truly loves us for who we are, knowing all of our brokenness, that frees us to do miraculous things, to be loved for who we truly are and to live out of that identity. So that's why this is my Lazarus War. That's why it's my pulpit pick, uh, which I guess I didn't clarify earlier, but... Yeah, Lazarus Ward, look right at me, right at me. I love that. I love how you picked such a small, specific moment and drew some depth into it. And I think the Peter walking on water is a great comp. Kev, take me to your Lazarus Award for High School Musical. Will do. No pulpit pick here, so I'll keep it snappy. I'm giving it to Troy dignifying Kelsey at the piano. Yep. Composer, you wrote the song right on your pages, saying? And the entire show? Well, that's really cool. I, uh, I can't wait to hear the rest of the show. So, why are you so afraid of Ryan and Sharpay? I mean, it is your show. It is? Isn't the composer of a show kind of like the playmaker in basketball? Playmaker? You know, the one who makes everyone else look good. I mean, without you, there is no show. You're the playmaker here, Kelsey. I am. Do you want to hear how the duet's supposed to sound? What does it look like to love someone? Look how Troy uh, affirms Kelsey's talent in her work, yields to her musical expertise, uses his social capital to boost hers, all of which help her to come out of her shell eventually. And this is what Dumbledore and Hufflepuff are all about, right? Dignifying Mm. those who maybe we otherwise wouldn't think of. And, And I think that this is a little bit of a lost like virtue or sort of element in a heroic character in more modern narratives. Maybe not. 
I've got 2 Samuel 9, 1-13, King David of ancient Israel honoring the lame, or uh, like special needs, I guess is what we'd call it today, Mephibosheth. I'm just going to read the whole thing and then we'll be done. All of chapter 9, 13 verses, here we go, story time. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I'm your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson, that's Mephibosheth, may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's own sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Thoughts on that, Graham? That's the whole passage. The son is fathered into a place at the table uh, because of his father and because of the fact that uh, he is worth dignifying because he is somebody important's son. And similarly, I think that's a great way to frame our view of other people, right? Like, Kevin, you are worth treating well and worth dignifying because you are God's son and you are my brother in the kingdom. And that's not just true of you. It's true of any believers. And really, it's true of all people who are created. Like, you Absolutely. are you're God's child. You are made in his image, and therefore, you are worth dignifying. Yeah, and I think when you think about the Lazarus Award, you know, historically, if I might use that word, for our two seasons, like, we, we usually are giving it to the big dramatic moments, right? right. It's usually sort of the the hero's big battle or sort of like the big realization. And and this is a little bit of an underdog pick for that because it's kind of a smaller moment earlier in the movie. But I really think like the gospel vibes here are higher than anywhere else in the film for me. On that note, give me your Mary Magdalene Award for a low-key gospel movement in High School Musical. All right, I'm giving my Mary Magdalene Award surprise to a line in Gabriella's solo song. Wow, comeback story. Comeback story for When There Was Me and You by Gabriella. But... There's a line in the song that says, I confuse my feelings with the truth. Uh, and so at the risk of sounding uh, Ben Shapiro light here, the facts don't care about your feelings, guy, uh, there's a deeper conversation to be had here. Um, and I think a lot of modern Christianity tries to sell you on some sort of grand emotional experience, right? Like you're going to come and you're going to have this fantastic, you know, worship environment. And there's going to be smoke and mirrors and lights and maybe not even that, but you're going to go on this long retreat and you're going to have this this deep, rich spiritual encounter. And while there's no, no nothing inherently bad about experiencing 
uh, ranges of emotion in your encounters with the Lord. Uh, sometimes we can worship emotions over worshiping truth, right? Uh, and I think the cool thing about God is that his goodness, presence, and agency are never determined by your own feelings. He's simply there. And you see this exercise over the course of church history where rather than trying to work ourselves into an emotional state, historically Christians have, have repeated things like the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed uh, or prayers of the saints in order to kind of groove that into our hearts, right? I think when you look at the way that a lot of Presbyterian, I know, you know, Kevin goes to a PCA church, the way that a lot of Presbyterian churches function, or maybe some other churches with more liturgical backgrounds, you see uh, these phrases and these verses and these words repeated over and over again, reminding ourselves of truth more so than, uh, you know, pursuing some sort of deeper feeling. And again, there's nothing bad inherently about feelings, but sometimes feelings and truth can be at odds with one another. And so the verse I picked was Proverbs 28:26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered, right? Our hearts are deceitful. That's what Jeremiah says. Uh, that's for me is why this wins my Mary Magdalene Award. That's beautiful. I love that. I think we've talked about this, but C.S. Lewis said he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia to help him feel what he knew to be true, but was like sad that he never felt like he really treasured it like he should. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of Christianity is sort of wondering like why feelings don't align with the truth. Like if the gospel really is true, nothing else matters, but why don't we really believe that or right. look like it, you know? Right. An irony of your award though is that Gabriella, it's actually her feelings that are right and the truth, right. so to speak, yeah. is wrong, right? Because she's like, I thought he liked me. I felt like he liked me, but I guess the truth is that he doesn't and it ends up being the flip-flop. Right, and, and then that's the classic Disney false prophet trope of, like, follow your heart. It's also the classic romantic narrative plot line of, like, the hero, it's one of their biggest obstacles towards the successful romance in the end is the, like, misperception that the other doesn't actually right. like them, right? Yep. Like, we see this. I overheard this thing out out of context, and it was forced. Right. It's Ro- it's Romeo and Juliet. It's, yeah. What's your Mary Magdalene Award, Kev? I'm giving it to Coach Bolton uh, when he's, like, kind of scrimmaging with his son Troy in the backyard. And Troy's kind of like, have you ever, like, had this side of you that you feel like is always there and people don't respect it? Or, you know. So Troy's saying sort of like, what if your friends make fun of you? And Coach Bolton says, well, maybe they're not really your friends. Hey, Dad, did you ever think about trying something new, but we're afraid of what your friends might think? I mean, like going left? You're doing fine. Come on. Well, no. And then what if you want to try something really new, and it's a total disaster, and all your friends laugh at you? Well, then maybe they're not really your friends. That, for me, was a compelling moment because it sort of raises this question of what makes a good friend, after all. Um, And maybe there's some sort of balance of, like, a, f- a good friend that's able to both affirm and critique, but but more so affirm probably, um, as well as just being fun to be around. But uh, I've got Hebrews ten twenty four to twenty five here, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think good friends are encouraging one another all the more. And they are encouraging different sides of that person as well as encouraging them towards what is right and good for that person, which in this case is the church not meeting together, right? Mm -hmm. Let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, like some people aren't going to church kind of thing. Um, So a good friend is is able to give that critique, but also to to bury it in affirmations left and right and to know 
when you have the credibility to spend those chips and not to just spend chips that you don't have. Yeah, no, I do like that. <laughs> I was thinking of the, the line when Trey goes, uh, Dad, have you ever thought about trying something new? And he's like, what, like going left? Just <laughs> <laughs> like hilarious. Such an but... exaggeratedly narrow like possibility of what <laughs> Troy could have been the, thinking. You know, the, sc- the screenwriters are like, you know what? This guy knows a lot about basketball. <laughs> no, he's literally so fo- – like he can't conceive of anything Troy could say outside of like that particular <laughs> ball So movement. funny. False Prophet Award for a non-biblical argument High School Musical makes? So this one's going to be nuanced, but I'm giving my False Prophet Award to the idea that self-discovery is the ultimate realization. I think this is actually really similar to a False Prophet I believe I gave in The Greatest Showman, where there's something so much to be affirmed by the, the stick to the stuff you know when everybody starts revealing, oh, I like baking, or I like, you know, doing hip hop, or, you know, I like doing x y and z and it reminds me a lot of the this is me scene in the greatest showman 100 percent. Like, you know i'm coming out i'm gonna show you who i really am you're gonna see my true colors Everybody gather around. well if troy can tell his secret then i can tell mine i bake what i love to bake strudel scones even i've penned out someday i hope to make the perfect creme brulee there's something to be affirmed in that, right? Like we want to be, you know, glorifying the Lord with the gifts that he has given us, right? Uh, however, these gifts are given not just for us and for our enjoyment, but for the betterment of the world. And so this actually reminds me of uh, my freshman year at Davidson. Uh, I had to take a PE class and I got signed up the very last minute. There were no other classes available other than cardio dance. And so I show up at cardio dance the first day uh, I am one of two guys, and there are 28 girls in the class, and it's incredibly humiliating. I'm this, like, 18-year-old <laughs> kid, and I have, I have no idea what I'm doing in this class. i got to knock out my credit. And so we go through this whole class, and I'm like, oh, fine. You know, we got through it. I just got to get through, like, the semester. And the next week I go, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't, like, the worst. And the week after I go, I'm like, wait, this is actually kind of fun. And then I started inviting my friends with me. And by the end, there were, like, 10 of us going every single week to cardio dance, And the thing that I really loved about cardio dance is not the dancing itself, but is that it freed me to be an idiot, which I think has been a really important role in my character development over the last six or Mm. seven years. Like not caring as much about what other people think about you is good. And it's actually, I think, freed me in my ability to be a fool for the sake of the gospel. You know, I work uh, for a young life alongside high school kids. And I, I think that's been a gift to me of being like, I know I probably look like an idiot showing up to the school and and talking to this kid, but uh, my identity is not found in that. And so I think the the thing here is like if I had done cardio dance and just been like, oh, I love cardio dance. Like it's just a new asset to my personality rather than something that has liberated me to go live out my life as a member of the kingdom. Like it would be kind of shallow. But the reason that cardio dance was important to me is because it gave me the confidence and freed me from the burden of what other people think in order that... Uh, I might be the truer version of myself and use that as a way to reach people with the gospel. Yeah, I think that's great. I think the This Is Me is a, another great comp, right? I mean, these are like the exact same song, really. Could we see a Jimmy's intro video out of that song? I mean, hard to say. I'm making no promises here. I feel like it'd really be cool to show people like in their normal work environments. No, no, no. Movies are not your thing. (gasps) All right. What about you, Kev? What's your false profit award? I'm also giving it to a song. Can you guess it? 
Ooh. Um, is it Breaking Free? It's not. Good guess. Uh, f- get Your Head in the Game? Nope. Although, Get Your Head in the Game is so funny because it's like, the basketball team is like the anti-musical people. <laughs> and like, so far, in the, so far in the story, the narrative has been like a film. Like, it hasn't gone musical until that song. So it's just, it's really funny that like they open up the curtain into musical, you know? Also, those guys look like they have no ball handling skills. I'm going to put you out of your misery. I'm giving the False Prophet Award to We're All in This Together. Oh. I know it sounds like such a downer. Oh, no. Ball humbug. Revelation 21, Kev. I know, I know. We're all in this together. I'm giving every award like a question. I don't know if you've noticed that, but my false prophet question is who is we here? So God could be just and save nobody, or he could be merciful and save everybody, or he could be just and merciful and save some, but not others. And this is a whole can of worms, but because it's not the pulpit pick, I'm just going straight to my verses. This is Romans 9. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. So that's just really the Bible speaking against universalism, which I think is kind of the core mm-hmm. cry of we're all in this together. But look, don't get me wrong. This is a non-biblical argument that the movie makes. That doesn't mean the scene is any less exciting to me or that I'm not cheering along. Like, I love watching this. I think it's so fun. The production is is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And it actually contains a moment that I'm going to talk about in a bit, which is when Troy gives Kelsey the basketball as, like, like the game ball. Oh, so um, good. So there, there's a lot to love about the scene, but I do think if we – you know, if you put a gun in my head and said, what's not biblical about this movie, I'd say we're all in this together. The argument that the movie is making is like everybody in that room has bought into the fact that like their perceived identity doesn't matter as much as like who they right. are as individuals. Right. That's but great. That's yeah. And so I think if we're, we're taking that, you know, angle, it's more of a gospel moment, but I understand your angle on it, which is again, why there's room for nuance here. Anything that kind of moves us from individualism toward a communal identity is like pretty good to get behind, I think, for me right now. Right. Like, we yeah. live in such an individualistic society. Like, it's very exciting to cheer on this sense of like, actually, what if, what if you're not just a basketball player, but you're part of a basketball team? And what if that team stands for something that's beyond you? And that kind of goes back to your Mary Magdalene. That's kind of one of the ways that we can get beyond feelings back to truth is if we're a part of something bigger, something that doesn't waver like our individual feelings do, yeah. that aren't trustworthy. Yeah. So give me your Jesus Award for the most Christ-like character in High School Musical. Okay, my guess is that I'm stepping on your toes here, but I'm going with Troy. Big agree. It's gotta be Troy for me. He treats Kelsey with dignity, and that's something that Gabriella actually affirms in him. She's like, you know, you're a cool guy, Troy, but not for the reason that your friends think. And she's like, I saw the way that you treated Kelsey, and it's so dignifying, and I love how you identify that 
Troy has social capital that he can either use to destroy or uplift, and yet he chooses to use it to uplift people. He he speaks truth to Gabriella about who she is. He paves the way in humility uh, so his friends can feel the courage to live freely. Um, he's willing to take the risk to not be like everybody else. He's also very emotionally aware and healthy, uh, which he just is able to vocalize that, both in his relationship with Gabriella, with his dad, with his teammates. Uh, and when he wrongs Gabriella, when he you know, has that whole locker room speech about she doesn't actually mean anything to him, he owns his mistake. Like He goes to her front door and tells her mom, like, I messed up. And he goes to Gabriella and says, I messed up. That's not true. Which, I mean, what a great you know, demonstration of what it looks like to live biblically and to live godly is to own our mistakes and repent of them. Uh, he receives forgiveness from Gabriella and the two of them end up together. But I think Troy just really models Philippians 2 verses 5 through 7, one another, which says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And here's Troy, the captain of the basketball team, who could use his social capital to destroy and oppress, and yet he uses it to uplift and affirm. So Troy is pretty clearly my Jesus award here. Wow, that that is insane. We have almost the exact same answer and the same <laughs> reason. So I gave it to Troy, pulled the pick. My first reason is dignifying Kelsey, specifically when he says, like, you're the playmaker. And then it comes full circle with the game ball. Composer, here's your game ball. You deserve it, playmaker. Uh, Second reason, honest and vulnerable. Just like you said, I guess that kind of like is part of the taking responsibility thing. Like he apologizes to Gabriella. And also like he, you know, he's respectful with the mom. Like, oh, she's not in. Like, just tell her, you know, I want to talk and then I'm sorry. Like he he gets, he could have just said like, oh, I'll, I'll try her later. But he actually tells the mom like, look, I did something wrong here. Can you get that to her um, before the Romeo and Juliet thing? Gabriella is kind of busy with the homework and such, so now is not really a good time. I made a mistake, Miss Montez, and I would really like to let Gabriella know that. Could you tell her that I came by to see her? I will. But then also apologizing to his dad for detention earlier, so it's not just a one-off. Like, we see... He really does take responsibility. I don't understand this whole detention thing. It was my fault. Sorry, Dad. Cross court. Dad, detention was my fault, not hers. And then lastly, and this is what I think is like the most Jesus kind of explicitly, I guess to me, dignifying Kelsey is like the Lazarus moment. And that is like the ultimate Troy Hufflepuff vibe. But I think what like holds the movie together in a lot of ways is that he is the bridge between contentious people groups. So Troy and Gabriella are both sort of like shedding their former personalities to become like the performer musician. But like Gabriella shedding like the debate team or, or what's it called? Like the academic decathlon team. Yeah. That group of people isn't really at odds with the theater or like seeing that play out in the student body. Whereas like athletics and sports is like very much presented to us as the audience is like head to head with arts from the get go. And so, like, to me, Troy represents this bridge between, like, the contentious peoples of arts and sports. And that made me think a lot about, like, Ephesians 2 and, like, racism in the early church, specifically talking about Jews and Gentiles. So listen to how Jesus really is that bridge here. This is Ephesians 2, 11 to 16. I'm going to cut it off a little early. 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, or non-Jews, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." So you can kind of hear Paul's language there over and over. Like there's these two groups, two groups, but Jesus is the one that's like bringing them together, the new covenant. And so uh, I think Troy really is kind of like that bridge between two contentious people groups. And we don't really see him like mediating a lot of that tension. But like I think we kind of feel it under the surface that he kind of has the maturity to like not be tribalistic about like sports greater than arts, arts greater than sports. Yeah, you know, Troy is the character who probably has the most to lose of anybody in this film. And so I think that's part of what makes it so compelling, right, is that he has a keen awareness for, you know, the way that social dynamics function around him. And he's not willing to stoop to the level of you know, putting people down. You know, I'm a young life leader, but he would be kind of like the ideal kid that you'd want leading the charge of the school. Somebody who's using their social capital for good and seeing the dignity in other people. Yeah, I kind of think even when I look at my four awards for this film, Lazarus, Mary Magdalene, False Prophet, and Jesus, this one was certainly the clearest to me and the one I felt the most excited about. I think Troy is a Jimmy's contender. Ooh, Zach Efron, if you want to come to the Jimmy's, let us know. Jesusmovies at gmail.com. We might send you an invite. That's it for the awards, and now on to our special guest. This month, we've got my friend Sid Druin. Sid, how's it going, man? Hey, Kevin. Hey, Graham. How are you guys? Doing well. Thanks for taking the time. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you're up to these days. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and I've uh, lived in North Carolina since 2013, and uh, I am pastor at a church, Hope, down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Awesome. And what's one way that you've seen the gospel or some biblical truth and something that you've watched lately? I was going to go back a little bit. Uh, there's a movie for me that's always meant a lot to me, and it's called Lady Bird. And I haven't watched it recently, but I remember seeing it in the theater when it first came out in December um, a few years back. And it's sort of set in the 1990s in Sacramento, California, and it's a sort of patient, often painful exploration of the difficulties of a mother-daughter relationship and there's just this one scene I can't get over in that movie and the daughter Christine who wants to be called Ladybird um, that's part of the tension of the movie she's out shopping for a prom dress with her mom whose name is Marion and Ladybird comes out of the changing room and she's wearing this very pink fluffy dress and, and says I love it and her mom scrunches up her face and asks is it too pink? I love it is it too pink? What? Why can't you say I look nice? I thought you didn't even care what I think. I still want you to think I look good. Okay, I'm sorry. I was telling you the truth. You want me to lie? No, I mean, I just wish... I just... I wish that you liked me. Of course I love you. But do you like me? 
I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. What if this is the best version? And the scene in this movie ends with Marion, the mother, hesitating, looking like she's going to knock and say something, but instead she just drops her hand and then her head. And for me, uh, guys, this scene is a lot about what I do for a living and what I think about and what keeps me doing what I do for a living and really what the gospel means for all of us. And it's really about how do we view God and how, does, how do we change the Christian gospel from good news to us just as we are, and just sort of one more to-do list of good advice to get done. And the, the kind of passage for me that this reminds me of is the way we do this in Sermon on the Mount. There in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. And we change it into blessed will be or you'll be if you do blank or be blank or get better at blank. And so God becomes like Lady Bird's mother, only able to like who we're supposed to be. But I really think that this passage is kind of, and the movie reminds us the God of the Bible is tenderly but firmly grabbing us by the shoulder right before we slam the changing room door in his face. He's looking us over from chip toenail polish to uneven bangs, from callous toe pads to scruffy facial hair, Lord God takes all of us in, and then God, our Father, says, before you can ask, can I just tell you, I like you, as you are right now, even right then. No, you don't have to go it alone. And yes, my love for you will transform you into the best version of yourself, the person I planned on, the son or daughter I made you to be. And really, that's just saying you have to be safe to obey. And that's what the gospel is saying. You are accepted, we are accepted in Jesus before we're asked to do something. And we won't ever want to do something for the right reasons until we feel safe as we are and loved as we are and liked even as we are. Where do you go for a scriptural reference to see that God likes you and just doesn't just love you? And maybe can you can you differentiate between the two of those things? Where do you see evidence in the Bible that... So I think like is included in love um, in terms of biblically for God, but I think the place that I would turn to is where he talks about delighting. Uh, one place I think about is the beginning of Matthew when Jesus is baptized, and um, the Lord says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That idea of being pleasing or lovely or delightful to the Lord is where I get that idea of like. And that's sort of encompassed by his love. But a lot of times, we as Christians can think of God's love as just something that he does because he's sort of out of obligation or guilt instead of out of desire and out of relationship. And so, um, because we're in Christ, what God the Father thinks of Jesus the Son is what he thinks of us. Mm. And that's just hard to hold on to in life, but that's why it's like really neat to look at movies like Lady Bird and see the ways that God really does um, move past just this idea of liking a certain version of who we could be and loving us as we are into who we could be. His love makes us lovely. Well, thanks so much, Sid. That's awesome. All right, y'all. Well, good talking to you. I appreciate it. So thanks so much for making the time. Yeah, my pleasure. 
Sadly, we have to stop the discussion there, but all information related to Jesus and Movies is found exclusively on our Instagram, at Jesus and Movies. Remember, no more Patreon. Including a season-long People's Pick bracket to determine the final movie of Season 3. Please write us at JesusandMovies at gmail.com. And lastly, if you're listening on Apple, leave us an honest review. Thanks so much for joining us on the Jesus Movies podcast, and we hope you found some goodness, truth, and beauty. Know that because Jesus used his social standing to dignify the lowly like Troy did, those who believe in his atoning sacrifice are all in this together. And we'll see you next month.